Good morning, church. Let's stand together. Good morning. Merry Christmas to you guys. We're starting Christmas music today, thus we're all in red today and festive, and so we're so thankful to be in God's house. Trust that you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. We have so much to be thankful for. Amen? Yes. Amen. Let's sing. This might be a familiar song to you. This is a little bit different arrangement of it, but let's try this together. long expected.
got a familiar carol for you. Please remain standing. Let's sing Joy to the World. Welcome to Eastwood Baptist Church this morning. We're glad that you're here. We would rather you be here than in the best hospital in all of Cobb County. Matter of fact, how many of you would rather be here than uh, in the worst hospital in Cobb County? That, don't tell me which one it is because I, I wouldn't, don't want to know that. Our preacher today is, well, I'm kind of confused. On the front row, we have uh, Brother Fuquay and we have Brother Holly. And so uh, Brother Fuquay would freak out if I would say he is the preacher. So he is not the preacher. The preacher this morning is Hank Holly, not Buddy Holly. <laughs> Although that would be an interesting turn of events if you were. Uh, Brother Holly uh, brings to us pastoral experience as well as involvement with uh, the Billy Graham Association and you'll hear from him uh, in a few moments. His wife and son are with him. We're glad that you folks are here as well. If you're visiting with us and you're here maybe for the first time and they gave you appropriately a red Connect card, uh, we ask that you fill that out and then uh, put it in the offering plate or leave it there uh, in the pew and we'll get that later. We're so glad that you're here. If you're visiting and you did not get one of these, in the front of you there should be a little white Connect card. Fill that out so that we know who you are and you're visiting with us and we'd like to have the opportunity to visit back with, 
with you as well. For the rest of you, we are so thrilled and excited that you are here. What a great place to be on Sunday morning. As a matter of fact, what a great place to be any morning to be here in God's house. I'm going to lead us in prayer and then uh, take an opportunity to greet folks around you and tell them how happy you are that they're here and that uh, you hope they come back. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and for your care over us. What a beautiful day it is. Father, I've never been in your house when it wasn't a beautiful day. Father, it's a beautiful time to be in your presence with your people and to hear from your servant. And Father, we anticipate that today. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand and greet one another.
Okay, it takes a while for me to figure it out, but Hank Holly is the preacher. Fuquay is the driver of our guest soloist, Julie. I guess he's probably related to... Okay, okay. Ushers, if you'd come, we're going to take our offering. I've been asked to uh, have special prayer for uh, some that are in the hospital, some that are getting out, some that are going to. Uh, that's always a difficult time, and be in prayer for them. And of course, be in prayer as we pray today for our offering. It's essential that we continue to be able to function, and we can't do that, unfortunately, without uh, offerings and tithes from you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We can't thank you enough for all that you've done for us. We're humbled at the fact that you use us to do things that you could do just at the mention of, of your, your word, your name. Father, there's so many things that can be achieved just miraculously, and yet you say to us, no, the way I want to do this is I want you to be part of it. And so, Father, we give our tithes and offerings today because we're part of the miracle that you provide for us every day. Bless our gifts. Bless those that give. In Jesus' name, amen.
Glory to God, glory to God in the highest place you reign. Glory to God in the highest place, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God in the highest place you reign. You are the world in all your majesty. Forever King, you reign eternally. Love with us as a baby you are Thank you so much for Derek and Julie being with us today. They are good friends of ours. We worshiped together for several years, and so honored to have them with us in worship today. Well, wow, Eric, you do a great job with the music. I felt right at home today, all the way down to the greeting time. The church that I started in California some 16 years ago uh, had an extended greeting time. It was just natural. We wanted to say hello to everybody. And the warmth of this church and the friendliness of this church is striking. You guys love each other. I can tell that just by the way you interact. And I know God is going to bless you even through your transition time now. But I, I want to talk to you today about the land between. You know the land between. That's the land between where you used to be and you were comfortable. Maybe you had your share of misery, but you were comfortable in your misery. It was familiar. And then all of a sudden your world gets shaken upside down. Things change and you're in what I call the tunnel of chaos. Where everything's upside down and before you get to where you're going to be and you settle into normalcy, the new normal. And that period between the abrupt change and when you find your new normal, I call the land between. And so we're going to focus on that today. And the fact of life is we don't get to choose what happens to us, do we? Not at all. It's not, we wish we did, but then, you know, in our finite wisdom, we'd probably choose badly. 
But all the same, we don't like things happening to us. Do you like things happening to you? I don't. But someone does something to us. Maybe it's a boss. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a child. It could be a distracted driver. It could be a dishonest businessman. It could even be a pastor who does something and you have to deal with the fallout and the consequences. And when we find ourselves in those places where things have changed and we have to deal with the change, we always choose our reaction. We choose something. We may choose to withdraw emotionally and silently sink into depression. And you've seen it happen to people. Maybe it's happened to you. Or we may choose to just get caught up in seething rage. This isn't right. This shouldn't be. I don't deserve this. God called fire and brimstone down on their heads. That's a little extreme, isn't it? But we get that way. Some react that way to unexpected change. Others engage in retail therapy. That, that is my wife's choice. Uh, that's her default setting. And my wife is here, Barbara, right here on the second row. And my son, Dale. Or others may just silently think of ways to get even. Those revenge fantasies. And you know what? When we do that, all we're thinking about is ourselves. And we can get caught up in self-pity. And self-pity is the worst. Because it's all focused on me. And if you're focused on yourself, you're not focused on Christ. You're not realizing what God is at work in doing in your life because you're too, we're too busy feeling sorry for ourselves. So we always respond some way. The question is, how do we respond? Now open your Bibles to Numbers chapter 11. You may not have reviewed this passage recently, but I'm going to give you a summary of it. And in, Mo in Numbers chapter 11, we find Moses and the people in the wilderness of change. They are in this land between. And God has revealed his plan to Moses. He's recruited him to deliver the children of Israel from the land where they had been enslaved and returned to the promised land of Canaan. And the people have been led out of Egypt. And you know the, what happened, all the plagues. So finally, the Egyptians said, go, go. We'll give you whatever you want. Here, take all this. Go, just go. Get rid of all these plagues. And what they experienced was God's faithfulness. Now, this was a dramatic change for the people of Israel. They had been at home in Egypt for some 430 years, ever since Joseph was made prime minister. 
But then there arose over the land a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. Maybe you've been in those situations at work or in some other context where someone who doesn't understand the history and, and all that's been done comes in and there's a new sheriff in town and everything changes. But what happens is the people are delivered from their slavery. They had been miserable in their condition. And let me read to you Exodus 3, 7. Jehovah said, this is when, when he is calling Moses. He said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in, Jesus, in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. Do you realize that? He knows your sorrows. He knows my sorrows. He knows the pain that you have. He knows the longings you have. I know their sorrows. And I am coming down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of that land to a good land, a large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and all the other ites. And now behold, the cry of the Son of Israel has come to me, and I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. God had a future for his people. And it did not involve them being slaves in a foreign country. God has a future planned for each one of us. Corporately as this church and individually as each one of us uniquely. God has a plan for us. Do you believe God has a plan for your life? Good. That's a good starting point. He knows our suffering. He knows our hardships. He knows our pain. He knows all that we're going through with frustration, confusion, anxiety. He knows it. And the way he took these people to the new future was through the wilderness. And what was the wilderness experience designed for? So the people would learn to trust God. And if you can just put that in your head, that whatever transition you find yourself in, whatever turmoil you find yourself in, in the land between what was an, an unknown future, know that God has a plan and his purpose in this abrupt Change in your life and situation and circumstances is so that you would learn to trust him more deeply. And that was his purpose in bringing the, the people into the wilderness. They needed transformation. Think of it. These people have been living in Egypt for 430 years. I mean, that's twice as long as we've been a country, to give you a little perspective there. And what were they? They were more familiar with the customs of pagan Egypt than they were with the ways of God. Now, they'd heard the stories about Isaac and Abraham and Jacob. And, you know, it's like we hear the stories of the founding fathers and we go, yeah, they were great. They were, they were giants. Wish we had some giants nowadays. So they were familiar in passing with those stories, but... The reality of their special relationship with God had not 
come through to them yet. And so they were basically an unruly mob of recently released slaves. And Moses was their nanny. Or else, when Moses got frustrated, that's what he said to God. He said, God, I didn't give birth to these people. Why am I out here with all the, this unruly mob? And, you know, you can pour your heart out to God like that. That's okay. That's not a sin. Now, when you start saying, how could you? Now you're starting to impugn God's wisdom and his righteousness and his character. And that crosses over into sin. But if you're honest and share your heart, Lord, I hurt. Father, I'm frustrated. Father, I don't know how to respond. And we lay our heart before him. That's healthy. That's good. The desert was meant to transform them from what they had been, slaves in bondage in Egypt, to the people of God. And there's no doubt about it, the land between is difficult. It's not fun. Spiritual transformation is the purpose of the desert experience for us, to shape and mold us and refine us into the people who know God and trust him with their lives. Now, in the wilderness, what did God do? He repeatedly provided for them. In Numbers 11, in our text, look at verse 7. It says, And the manna was like coriander seed, and the color of it was like the color of resin. The people went around and gathered and ground it in mills or beat it in a mortar and baked it in pans and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was like the taste of fresh oil. And when the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell upon it. God provided food for these people in the wilderness. And this is the food he provided was this manna. Now you need to understand that uh, this crowd that went into the wilderness, the Bible tells us that there were 600,000 men. 600,000 men. Now, then there were the women, then there were the children, then there were the elderlies, and a conservative estimation is that there were about two and a half million people that Moses was leading out into the desert. That's a lot of folks. Plus, they had their livestock. And the people of Egypt had lavished them with, with goods and, and food and provisions just to get them out of town because they caused all this, these plagues. So they traveled on into the wilderness for six weeks. And then that food ran out. And just to help you understand this, to feed two and a half million people just two pounds of food a day and four pints of water a day would require about 2,250 pounds, tons of food. 2,250 tons of food for one day. And one and a quarter million gallons of water for one day.
So God provided manna. There were no trains with freight cars that he could send, you know, three or four freight trains a mile or two long to feed them for one day. Instead, God's ingenious provision for them in this land in between was manna, something he had come up with. It was, it was angel food. Now, the word manna literally means what is it? When the people saw it, they said, whoa, what is this? And that's what they called it. And they had been existing on this manna for two years, when we pick them up here in Numbers 11. Two years, think about that. Manna for breakfast, manna for lunch. More manna for dinner. They had come up with every way they could think of to prepare these things. Manna pancakes, manna mush, manna loaf. Manna soup, manna enchiladas, I don't know. It's kind of like that leftover turkey that's in your refrigerator. You had a great meal on Thursday. Wow, you had a great sandwich Friday night or Thursday night. And now you've got that big baggie of turkey sitting in there. And before law this week is over, you're going to think, I don't want any more turkey. And you try to give it away to people. They don't want your turkey either. You know, they were tired of it. And that's what it says if you get to, drop back to verse 4. The mixed multitude in their midst lusted with great lust. Now, this isn't lust, sexual lust. This is lust for something else to eat. And the sons of Israel also turned and wept and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? Oh, we remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt. The cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. Oh, that was wonderful. But now our soul is dried away. There's nothing at all besides this manna before our eyes. Have you ever been there? This is my life. And I'm kind of tired of it. And I really need a change. And so sometimes we direct God. We say, well, God, change it. And God says, as soon as you learn what I'm trying to teach you, I'd be happy to change it. And we go, huh? But that's what he says. And this rising tide of complaint grew among the people. And then verse 10, Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, every man in the door of his tent, and the anger of Jehovah was kindled greatly. Moses also was displeased. And so we learn that their complaint is more about more than actual food. They were weary and bitter of their existence in the land between. And the longer it goes on, personally or corporately, we become, we can become embittered resentful. And when we do that, we're not learning the lesson God wants us to learn. Now think of it. These were the people 
who were stopped at the Red Sea with the, the mightiest military force on the face of the earth coming up on them. And again, they said, why did you bring us out of Egypt? If we're going to die like dogs right here on the edge of the Red Sea. And what did God do? You all know the story. He parted the Red Sea. If you had been there and seen the Red Sea part and gone through it, would you ever doubt God again? Well, we like to think we wouldn't. But we're kind of like these people. They'd seen the amazing provision of God in a dramatic way, life-changing way. And yet, they were looking at the situation now with other eyes. Not only had they seen the Red Sea party, they'd seen all the plagues that God brought. They saw the power of God. And when we think of this, we said, man, if I'd seen those plagues and if I'd been through the Red Sea, I would never doubt God again. It's easy to think that, isn't it? I would never react like these people. How could they complain about this manna? How could they complain about how God's treating them? My word, they saw the wonders of God. And we like to think that we would be different. It's like when we read in, in the Gospels about the disciples and we say, what boneheads those guys were. I certainly would have believed. And I love it when Jesus does some public teaching. This is a total aside. Jesus does some public teaching and then the disciples are with him privately. And Peter says, uh, Master, that was great. And I understood what you were saying, but I'm not sure Andrew got it. So could you explain it to us privately? You see, we like to think that we do better. But we need to see ourselves prone to the same weaknesses, capable of the same failings, tempted by the, the same sins. We need to associate with the characters of the story rather than placing ourselves above them. And a number of years ago, I wanted to identify with where these people were. And so I didn't have a wilderness to go hang out in. But... I wanted to replicate this whole idea of manna. And so I decided that I was going to go on a manna fast. I was going to eat fiber one bars every day, Monday through Friday, Monday morning through Friday evening, and all I was going to eat are these little fiber one bars. You know what I'm talking about? I'd have one for breakfast, two for lunch, and three for dinner. And I remember that experience. The first day, I said, well, that's, that's not too bad. But I, I wasn't looking forward to dinner. And that was on the first day, even though I was going to get three bars. The second day, I became acutely aware of cooking ads on the television. And baking demonstrations. And by the third day... It was Wednesday, and we had Wednesday night dinner at the church, and so I went in there, and the smell just, oh, it was awesome. I was just sitting in the kitchen, breathing it in, 
ah, this is good. And then I sat down with my three bars and ate them. And you know what? I forgot what I was doing when we were cleaning up. And you know how when you clean up, sometimes there's one single shred of cheese sitting on the counter? Well, automatically, I just grabbed that and put it in my mouth. It was the best taste in cheese I've ever had in my life. One little sliver of cheese, wow. Well, then came day four. And by the fourth day, uh, I, was, uh, I was fully into my fantasy life about food. Just thinking about all the good food there was out there. And uh, I was unwrapping my lousy, unappetizing meal and realized I'd lost all interest in eating. My joy had evaporated from the dining experience. It was just a, a function that had to be done. And by the fifth day, literally, I was saying, I'm sick of this. Why did I do this? I want something else. And when was the last time you were sick and tired of, of your situation? We need to not say, oh, those people, those dumb people, why didn't they trust God? When we find ourselves in those very same situations, we've seen the power of God in our lives. Yet we're at a place of frustration and we say, I'm tired of this. God changed us. And we get impatient just like they did. Is there some unexpected change in your life? Some circumstances that you are sick of? You see, what can happen in those times is destructive patterns can form. And sometimes our decisions don't feel like choices. We feel like they're forced on us, but they're really not. And we can select a selfish, destructive response so frequently that it be it begins to feel like it's not a decision anymore. It's just automatic. Have you ever done that? I have. When we experience this kind of hardship, our faith is being tested for our good. And God is saying, do you trust me? Will you trust me? I know your suffering. I know your pain. You're going through this for a purpose. Do you believe it? Will you trust me? And that's the question. Our responses set the trajectory for the rest of our life. And unfortunately, we many times fall into complaint against God, murmuring, how could God let this happen? Doesn't God see... Is God on vacation because I'm in a world of hurt here? And we start to doubt God. We start to impugn his goodness and limit his power. And say, God, how could you? That's pretty presumptuous, isn't it? God, how could you? We said, hey, if you trust me, we'll make something good out of this. But sadly, we fall into grumbling just like these folks. And you see the cycle repeated. There's a crisis of need at the Red Sea. 
And the people said to Moses in Exodus 14, Have you taken us away to die in the wilderness because there were no graves in Egypt? Why have you dealt with us this way to carry us forth out of Jesus? Didn't we tell you this in Egypt saying, Let us alone that we would serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And what did God do? He parted the Red Sea. And then, I mean, that's incredible. That's amazing. Then they traveled on for three days without water. And they set up the same grumbling again in Exodus 15, 24. The people murmured against Moses saying, what shall we drink? Now this was a life-threatening situation. And God led them to water, but it was, it was putrid. And God amazingly brought life out of death and turned it into fresh water when Moses threw a log in. Now that makes a lot of sense. You know, if we, if we were left alone in a room for about 10 hours, you think we would have come up with that? Yeah, God wants us to throw a log in. How does that help? Well, I don't know, I just feel like God's telling us. And Moses said, God said it, I'm going to do it, here you go. And all the people were blessed. You see, God's ways are not our ways. And if we expect him to work the way we want him to work, we're in for a major disappointment. Because God doesn't do things our way. God sees the whole picture. He knows where we are, he knows why we're there. And then they run out of food again. And they say again, why did we come out here with you to die? And God provides manna. And then water again with the, the rock. And the water came from the rock after an act of faith. It makes no sense to strike a rock with your staff to try to get water out of it. But God says, I just want you to exercise this little bit of faith in what I'm telling you to do. Don't try to figure it out. Don't try to make it logical so you can understand. There's no way you can understand. And you say, why, God, is this happening to me? And I can just see God saying, you know, I'd love to tell you, but it would make your head explode. You can't understand all the things I'm taking into account here and what I'm doing. So just trust me, will you? In this little thing. And so they saw all this and they complained against God. In verse 20 of Numbers 11, Moses tells them, You have despised Jehovah among you and have wept before him, saying, Why did we come out of Egypt? And so I want to ask you today, what is it that's wearing you out? What is it that is eroding your energy and draining your joy? What are you sick of in the land between? In your life or in a corporate sense? When we get to that place, it's easy for frustration to set in and morph into the spirit of complaint. And that should be what I call a light on the dashboard. When you find yourself murmuring and complaining and grumbling, it's like the light that comes on the dashboard. And what does the light on the dashboard tell you? 
there's something wrong under the hood. So when you find yourself murmuring or complaining, that's the light on the dashboard saying, hey, 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 there's something wrong under the hood. You've got your eyes off the Lord. You're not cooperating with what he's trying to do here. And in the land between, our souls are extremely vulnerable. And then God's gracious provision, he always showed them that he knew he would provide. And so it's our choice. The land between and its hardships are meant to train us to be God's people. Has God provided for you in the past? Do I get an amen for that? Amen, he has. Are you thankful for that? We just spent the last weekend being thankful for all the little things, right? And the big things. Now the question is, will you trust him going forward? That's what he wants. Not for us to just take one weekend once a year and say, oh wow, we have been blessed by so much. Thank you, Lord. And then go off on the Monday following saying, all right, I'm kind of tired of this. I really want that spirit of gratitude. It, it is somehow evaporated into the ether. Because after all, this is my life. It's my life. Whoops, sorry about that, guys in the AV room. Just woke Sam up back there. And if these faith lessons will take hold, then we will learn to trust God. The hardships you're going through now are meant to prepare you for the promised land that God has for you. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. And I will be found by you if you seek me with all your heart. So instead of grumbling, we can seek the Lord and trust him. We can complain. And as we complain, we hear God whisper very quietly, will you trust me? Do you think I'm big enough to handle this? Do you think I know what I'm doing? Then trust me. And he says, I'm all sufficient. Just turn to me. I got amazing things planned for your life. I'm not going to leave you here. I'm not going to drop you. I'm proving myself a capable provider if you just quiet down and cooperate. And sometimes we don't trust like this. Habakkuk 2.4 is a verse that's quoted throughout the New Testament. It says, Behold, the soul of him is lifted up and is not upright, but the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. How did you become a believer? How did you come into the family of God? Through faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We didn't work for it. We didn't earn it. God didn't think we were so cute and cuddly that he couldn't not adopt us. Believe me, you're not that cuddly and cute. 
But he did it. And how did we receive that? It was through faith. How does he want us to live our lives now every day? By faith. He's our Savior. Hallelujah. Amazing. But is he our Lord? Our Master? Father, my life is yours. You show me. I want to follow you. I know you'll provide for me in all my needs. And we can let God mold us. And a big life-changing moment for me was when I applied 1 Thessalonians 5.18 to my own life experience. It says this. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now we've read that. It says, in everything give thanks. Oh, wait a minute. Aren't we supposed to give thanks for the good things? Yeah. You mean we're supposed to give thanks for this miserable situation we're in? Yeah. It's an act of faith. And the day after I flunked out of the University of Tennessee back during the Cultural Revolution and all that, I was walking back to my dorm and I, I said, okay, thank you, Lord. Thank you that I flunked out. Thank you that I'm the first person that's ever gone to college in my family and now I flunked out. Thank you, Lord. But you know what? Even with that bad attitude, something changed. And it's like the sky got bluer, and I could hear the birds tweeting. I got back to my dorm, and my roommate says, what are you so happy about? I said, well, I just flunked out. He said, you're a strange dude. <laughs> but are you willing to thank God for your uncomfortable situation in the land between now, today? That's all he wants. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you, me, to thank God, put our faith in God, and say, Lord, I trust you. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for our selfishness, for our thinking that we're somehow special and when we come into uncomfortable situations that it must be a mistake when in reality you are in control and you have a plan and you are trying to show us something something we didn't realize we needed and all you ask is us to thank you to trust you oh father may we live a life of faith as we trust you for this time and the time to come. In Christ's name, amen. Now maybe you've never taken that step to place your faith in Christ Jesus. You've heard the stories that he came and lived a sinless life and died on the cross, but he died for you, for your sins. And he proved his power over sin and death by rising from the grave and living forevermore. And if you've heard that story, but you've never taken yourself out of your own 
keeping and trusted your life to Jesus Christ, I would encourage you to do that this morning, right now. And maybe you realize that you've been in that wilderness of murmuring and complaint. And you want to make a commitment to the Lord. I invite you to come forward as well. If you want to make that decision, give your heart to Christ. If you want to come up and pray as God is directing you. Or join the church. We invite you now as we sing. about, eyes are closed. There's a key verse that I heard where he said, God sees, God hears, and God knows. That applies to us as a church. It applies to me as an individual as well as you. We're going to sing one more verse because God does see, God does hear, and Almighty God does understand. If you're here today and you need to acknowledge a decision that you're making in your heart, and you need to acknowledge it publicly, I'm going to invite you to come. Brother Holly and I both will be here to receive you. Maybe you just need to come and pray. Won't you come as we sing? Come then and join this whole Only trust Him, only trust.
just a moment, we have a bushel of announcements to make. But before we do that, have you heard from God this morning? Amen? Amen. The announcement's in your bulletin. And the only reason there are a bushel of them is because there's a bunch of them that you need to sign something to go. I think we should change maybe our logo for the church that says Exciting Eastwood Baptist Church where you have to sign in and sign out. There are some things on here you'll notice on the, uh, uh, in particular, um, the widows and widowers senior singles Christmas luncheon for the 18th. It says be sure to sign up. So find the sign-up sheet either in the foyer or back by the Welcome Center if you're going to participate in that. Joy Club on Friday the... Oh, my. On Friday the 13th, sign up. I guess that's so if we get out and we, we don't find you, we know we're supposed to wait for you to bring you back home. So sign up for that. Uh, I think there is another one, and uh, Heather, come and talk to us about that. Lee could probably do it better than me, but um, I just want to personally invite the women to come on the next day, the 14th, that Saturday. Um, we're going to have our women's Christmas party, and we're going to have a luncheon and just a time of fellowship and hang out. We're going to do an ornament exchange. All the details are in your bulletin, but I just wanted to personally invite all the women, and please invite your family, your friends. It's not just for us. Like We want a huge group here. Just have some fun um, in the holiday season. And then the next day, that's just going to be a busy weekend, I guess, but the next day on that Sunday, the 15th, um, for Sunday night, um, Lee's also going to do a service. But for those who can come, um, we're going to go caroling to the shut-ins. And so we're actually going to meet in the fellowship hall at 530, and we're going to split off into groups. I have some team leaders, um, and we're just going to go visit them at their houses, sing a few carols. I can't sing worth a flip. Um, but so even if you can't sing, um, they don't care. They just, we're going to be there. We're going to brighten their house. We're going to give them a little goodie bag. Um, and we're going to go visit just whoever we can and come back to the church and have hot chocolate and cookies when we get back. Um, so full weekend, but I just wanted to personally invite everyone out to those two events. So thank you. If you have an announcement to make, feel free to line up. Uh, real quick, I'm Isaac. Um, I help with middle school and high school. Uh, Y'all have an insert in the bulletin about a love offering we're going to do uh, next Sunday for the middle school and high school. They lost a lot of leaders through this transition period as well, so we're trying to get together and uh, fill that gap for them and continue to be there for them. And we got some outreach stuff we want to do and some fellowship stuff we want to do, but we need some help with it. So uh, any donations that y'all can do would be greatly appreciated. We're going to set up a couple boxes, one in the front and one in the fellowship hall, if you want to do that as well. Or if you don't feel comfortable, you can just give it to me. Um, but that's what we need help with, so I appreciate it. I'm last but not least. But anyway, I just have one quick announcement, and then we'll be dismissed. Next Sunday morning, after much prayer and visit, phone calls, conversations with people, we now have come up with seven people to serve on the pulpit committee for the next, to seek out our next minister, our pastor for our church. So we'll be presenting that next Sunday morning. 
uh, and during the 11 o'clock service. So everybody pray. We've been, been praying, and I just encourage you to continue to pray as these seven people begin to work together to reach out. And, of course, they'll be seeking names, I'm sure, and, and, uh, but they need your prayer and support as we move forward through this transition period. Thank you, Brother Holly, for the great message. Now we'll be dismissed in a word of prayer. Father, we come to your throne of grace. Once again, we thank you for this opportunity you have given us to come to thy house this morning to sing and to worship you around the word of God. Thank you for the great message, the challenge, Lord, God, as we go through this transition period in this seemingly empty land, but God has been brought out through the last three messages, Lord, that God, God's with us and God's in control. We don't understand. We can't see behind the next wall or the next door, but you know what's there. And help us to have faith, trust you, believe you. God, we just thank you this morning for being with us, helping us. We'll give you all the praise, all the glory and honor. Dismiss us with your loving care. Meet back with us again tonight. We'll give, continue to give you the praise. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.